What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Par None Podcast. I'm Brady Falk here with Ryan Hernandez for episode 17, I believe. Sounds uh, right. Going to talk today a little bit about the Ryder Cup picks. The captain's picks were made on both the U.S. and the European team since our last episode. And then we yep. dug up a little uh, Tiger Woods stats collection that is shocking. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that. But we'll yeah. start with the Ryder Cup picks. Yeah, well, first of all, we have to acknowledge that, that this has nothing to do with um, foot or uh, golf, but the CU Buffs took it to the TCU Horn Frogs, which was awesome to watch. Got the old uh, the prime hat going. So CU football is fun. CU football is fun for like the last since like for the first time in a decade. So, um, yeah, my family's been huge CU football fans. We had season tickets for like 60 years. Uh, wow. So, yeah, anyway, it was a fun football game to watch. Uh, it has nothing to do with golf in our podcast, but if you're not a CU football fan, you should be a CU football fan now because Deion Sanders is a hilarious just to like watch and listen to and maybe the best story in college football this year. We'll see. It's going to be fun to see how, I mean, that week one was incredible and how week two, like usually college football, like week one's kind of like, eh, you know, you start out a little bit sloppy. There's no preseason and then all the changes are made for week two. So uh, if they can even improve on week one, yeah, should be exciting. Yeah, they got to play some defense. Um, What I think is interesting, I don't know how you feel about this again, or already getting off into a tangent, but... um, I, I, it, it's so weird to me that, and I, I don't know what the, exactly the reason is, unless it's, I mean, I'm guessing it's just monetary, um, mo- money motivated, but like, you know, I saw Oklahoma beat like Arkansas state, it's like 73 to nothing. And, um, I heard, you know, like they pay, I mean, I know that this happens, but like those first couple weeks, a lot of times those big schools will pay these little schools, a lot of money to like come in there and just basically like just kick the shit out of them, which mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really understand that. Like, I don't know. I guess you, you must need money pretty badly if you're willing to just get like walloped by a big name school. Um, but I also just like, I don't understand why, like if you're Oklahoma or Alabama or Notre Dame, like a lot of these big schools play these like super easy non-conference schedules and yeah. I just don't understand that. Like, I, I feel like there has, there should be a rule that says, like, you have to play a certain, like, level. I don't know, because it seems like, I don't know what you think, but it seems to me almost unfair that, like, all these teams are going to start 3-0 and with really just basically, like, no competition whatsoever. And then, you know, again, not like, like CU is a powerhouse, but they have to go, like, TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State, which isn't the hardest non-conference schedule. But at least it's against teams that are, like, relevant to the college football framework. Yeah. I know. At this point, it's just, like, customary to play a terrible team the first week, rack up 70 points, and, you know, pay pay money to that school for for coming. Yeah, and I guess those schools – I mean, I'm sure those schools are very, like, probably in need. You know, like, $2 billion probably helps them out quite a bit. Um, but I know even just, I guess, a coach or a player, it would really be hard to just like, you know, for a fact, sans like a once in like every decade, this kind of happens, but you know, for a fact that you're just going to get blown out 
you're going to feel crappy because I mean, like I've coached plenty of things and a loss always feels crappy, even if you know it's coming. Um, so I just, it would, it would suck going into a game all week prepping, just knowing like Oklahoma is just going to take, is just going to bend us over and we're just gonna have to take it. Um, it almost seems kind of like, this is getting kind of dark, but I'll, I guess I won't go there, but do you know what I mean? Like you're receiving money for a punishment. It's such a weird deal that you don't do anywhere else. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't do that. It's just a weird well, Wherever you were going with that, you'll have to tell me later. I'm I'm anxious to hear now. <laughs> well, I mean, like you know, everybody knows where I was going with it. It's just like a weird thing that you're yeah. like, we're gonna take money to get throttled, basically. So yeah, I guess yeah. the money must help their program like enough, right, mm. to make it worth it. Because I don't know why a school would want to do that. Otherwise. I don't know either. Like I don't know if they get. Like if there's benefits from the exposure that they get, like playing it, probably. So I don't know. I'm guessing, like you know, for a school like Arkansas State or these other, to have Oklahoma even come there is a big deal, and it probably draws a bigger crowd. So that's more ticket sales. Yeah. That's more concession sales. They probably get it. You know, they get on TV. Like Oklahoma game is going to be on TV somewhere. Whereas you know, if they just played another team, maybe in their conference or in their whatever league or they probably wouldn't get that same exposure. So I get all, I do get all that from like a business standpoint. I just know from like a competitive coaching and playing standpoint, that has to be hard to just know that you're going to get beat up on, you know, but whatever. I just think it's a weird deal. It's a weird like thing that I think needs to go. I don't think you should set up these like Alabama does not need to be playing whoever they played, you know, like you don't, so it's just weird. If it were to go, do you think that college needs uh, a playoff week or something to warm up? Or is that that first week of the season where number one plays number three and they're off because yeah. they haven't had any games yet and it, it ruins their chances at the college football playoffs? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I don't. I I guess I wouldn't care. I mean, I think I'd, I'd be fine with them having a preseason like lots of other sports – have that you know like base college baseball has like a preseason where you go play you know like these games don't matter we're just here to like tune up things so i think you know fine do that do whatever you want to do even if it's just like uh you know like a light like a almost like a scrimmage like we're not going to go full we'll go like shoulder pads and helmets and that's it and, or whatever it is but um but at the same time like if you're the if you're Al, if you're the number one team, then like, you know, at least play somebody. I'm not saying you have to like do one versus three on the first week of the season, but at least trot out somebody that it's like there's an off chance they could make it competitive. I mean, I just wanted to be competitive. I'm fine if, if Alabama walks out there and wins 48-24. That's still a beating, but at least it's like that game had some, you know, like balance to it. Whereas 72 to nothing is just ridiculous. Or I was looking at some of these other scores and I didn't really ex expect to spend the first 10 minutes talking about college football, but I'm fine with it. Um, it's that season. It's that season. We got it. But like some of these scores, like, you know, Notre Dame played, didn't they play in like, I can't remember. They played in like Europe or something to start yeah. the season, and they they beat Navy 
like 43 to zero. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at somebody like Tennessee beat Virginia 49, 13, the Oklahoma game. Ole Miss played Mercer and won 73 to seven. Oregon played Portland state and won 81 to seven. Um, you know, Notre Dame played Tennessee state this week and won 56 to three. So now they've played Navy and ten or Tennessee state. It's just like, come on guys. Like, um. Yeah, I do. I mean, think Georgia played UT Martin. Who is that? USC played Nevada. Kansas State played Southeast Missouri. Texas A&M played New Mexico. Alabama played MTSU. I don't even know. I don't like. Is that Middle Tennessee State? Yeah. Okay. So like, I don't know. Just to me, that just Oregon State played San Jose. But you know, LSU played Florida. So that, Florida State. So that was five and eight. But I'm just saying, like. Does Alabama really need to play mid Tennessee State? Yeah, maybe mid Tennessee State needs that. I'm just saying, like, doesn't seem fair because then, you know, you're basically giving them a head start into the college playoff. Where like even like a TCU or a Colorado or whoever those like middle section of teams have to like their difficulty of schedule, which I know plays into it, is yeah, so much right. harder to get those first three wins than an Alabama or uh, like Notre Dame is like, you know, basically just start them at two and O and they can take two bye weeks off. Yeah. I think the selection committee does do a decent job though at rewarding schools that have a difficult schedule. So I I personally, I don't really mind the first week of blowouts. It's, it's usually not super exciting, but then you get that one game, like where there is the upset with a close call. Yeah. it makes it a little bit interesting that way, but all I can say is I'm glad I'm one of those little schools that goes and gets railroaded 71 to zero. Right. You're Arizona state. Yeah. And we, uh, we were favored by 31 and a half and we won by three. So that was, <laughs> that was an interesting game. It Who also, play? Uh, Southern was, Utah. So you guys also had one of those, well, it was supposed to be an easy game. Yeah, ASU always does. It's usually, it's, I would, I would bet the under on that spread every single time we never cover. So, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys, at least, again, you guys are, um, I mean, at least you guys jump into it after the first week, like Oklahoma State. You know, Fresno State has been good in the past. Like, that I'm fine with, which you'll probably beat Fresno State. They're not a huge competitor, but it's like, okay, Fresno State has been in the conversation at some point. But, you know, like, the other ones, I don't know about. Mercer has never been in the conversation. So, like, and you guys play us on October 7th, so we'll have to put some money on that. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to throttle you guys. I better not say that, because then I'll eat my words. I'm not very good at that kind of thing, but... Anyways, where are you guys? Are you guys moving? You guys are moving conferences. Where are you going? Big 12. Okay, we are too. Nice. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I'm not really sure how I feel about it all yet. It's it's weird that the Pac-12 is down to like four teams, I think. Yeah. Um, and the Big 10, Big 12, Pac, uh, let's see, what what's the other one that I'm missing? The SEC. SEC. They're all just like, huge now. Yeah. So, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. And you're obviously not going to be able to play all of the teams or right. even half the teams in your in your conference. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I hated that the Buffs went to the Pac-12 in the first place, so I'm actually I'm kind of happy to see them back in the Big 12, though it's not the same Big 12. Like, we're missing a lot of the fun teams that were in the Big 12 to begin with. You know, like it used to, growing up, we got to see, like, Texas, Texas A&M, Kansas State. There's a lot of those, like, kind of, like, older established schools, and now a lot of those are gone. And I don't even – I honestly don't even know who's in the Big 12 anymore. I don't pay attention because it just flips so often. But we used to just used to play – you know, you had kind of – you know exactly who – Oklahoma was in the Big 12. Um, so we had some big schools playing in the Big 12 – um, but I think all of those, I think Nebraska, but all those guys are going to like the SEC or the Big Ten, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Nebraska's already Big Ten. Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really sure about all the other ones because there has been so many changes. So I don't know off the top of my head. You see, it's hard to keep track. You used to know every school and now it's like, where are they at? Yeah. So silly. Again, money, For just sure. like TV revenue or whatever the share revenue is, I think is why these guys jump. So same kind of deal, just for a different thing. Yeah, well, I thought that this season was gonna gonna be kind of silly with all the the changes that are happening next year. Like that, like whoever wins the Pac-12 doesn't really matter. But actually, it probably makes it even more important because like it's not gonna really be a thing maybe next year. So it'd be yeah. the last in it. Um, it'll probably still be pretty competitive, and not, I don't think anything will change in that regard. Where my first instinct was. How, how ruined this season is, but I don't think that that will have any factor in it. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think teams still want to win and they still want to win their conference championship. So I think it's safe, but I, I do think it's weird that in like a day, a conference can just be like dead in the water. Like the PAC 12 is basically just dead in the water now. Yeah. Um, it's also hilarious that they keep the same name. It's so like the big 10 has like 16 teams. Yeah. Is it that hard just to call it the Big 16 or the Sweet 16 or some change it? Like, I don't know why we have to, like, play this game where we call it the Big 10 and there's not 10 teams in it. The Big 12 doesn't have 12 teams in it. Like, all just the change teams, the number. Yeah, with all the changes going into next year, maybe that will change. That, You'd think. It doesn't seem like that needs to stay the same. Like, right. That. Like, just change it. It's like, it's it okay did. if it was the Big 12 last year. Just print new merchandise and put a 13 on it. Like, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I don't know. So silly, but okay. We should probably talk about some golf stuff. But anyways, I didn't mean to go on a fifteen-minute tangent about college football. But anyway, go Buffs. Speaking of team sports, how about that Ryder Cup? How about that Ryder Cup? What a crazy deal that is. No, um, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, I'll just—I know I've done plenty of talking already, but I was—I've been listening to a lot of stuff since the picks came out, especially the American picks. We can talk about Europe in a second. But, like, a lot of people are just, like, you know, ripping. There's a, There's been a lot of, like, ripping on people who thought Justin Thomas shouldn't be on the team as, like, yeah. that's an insane take to have. Um, you know, and I've seen, like, you know, oh, you – nobody – like, we don't know the decisions that go into these guys. Um, for example, I was listening, you know, I love the par – or the par none podcast. That's us. Uh the foreplay podcast 
And those four guys were just talking about how insane it is that people would not want Justin Thomas on the Ryder Cup team and how you can't just take, you know, he's had a bad season. You can't just base it off a bad season. You know, you have to look at his career and what he's meant because you're assembling a team and you're trying to find the best, not maybe not necessarily like the 12 best, but the best 12 that are going to work together, which I get that argument. However, then they kind of like, I felt like they kind of like double, they, they, they want it both ways because then they talked about how they were not really on the Cam Young train because they have all of this like scar tissue from Paris where, you know, all those guys, all of our guys were long hitters and they set up the course not to play to long hitters. So I'm like, so in essence, the very way that you're playing, not being able to get the ball in the fairway at that point factors in immensely. And so you got beat because of like skill wise. So I'm just like, you can't have it both ways. You can't have this, like, we're trying to build a team and you got to look at their career and, you know, all of these kinds of things, regardless of their struggling. And then I feel like turn around and be like, well, he wasn't doing what he needed to do that week to get it done. And I think that's the, that's the Justin Thomas argument for me is like, he's not getting it done right now. And you need him to get it done right now. Um, in other sports, if you have like a veteran guy, that guy if he's not producing, he doesn't play. He may be a clubhouse guy. He may be like a pinch hitter or you're going to put him in, you know, or as a motivator or a sideline guy, but he does not like start or play that much. You know, same thing with like, he's going to be the sixth man or he's, he's on the bench to kind of be a, a vet of our, a veteran presence. It's like, it's fine if Justin Thomas wants to be part of it. But again, I don't think if you can throw him out there and trust that he's going to deliver based on the golf that he's like, the golf that you're playing has to matter at some point right now. I think it's kind of naive to say like, well, four years ago or two years ago, or even like last year in the Ryder or in the president's cup, he chipped in from a bunker and everybody went crazy. So he's automatically going to be good this year. I just, you know, I just, I don't, I, I don't know. Again. I mean, like, I don't think we we both knew that he, he was not in any danger of not making the team. But I think this whole argument of like, well, he's in because you got to look at his body of work and then be pissed off when the guys who have a good body of work don't deliver that specific week. I don't know if you can have it both ways. Your thoughts. Yeah. I'm done talking. Yeah. So I, I definitely was not surprised that GT got picked, but I didn't think that he earned the pick. Mm -hmm. I still stand by my guns on that. And yeah. Keegan should have been on the team. I think that was the, the big talking points where Justin got on, Keegan did not. Um, I The interesting thing about like the picks is that the, the quality of the pick will be determined after the Ryder Cup, right? right. Like, if Keegan does phenomenal, it will be a good pick. But if he does terrible, it will be a bad pick. But it shouldn't it shouldn't be based on that. It should be based on the information that he had available to him at the time of the picking, which I think the information points towards him not being on the team. I think there are a lot better options, even if he does phenomenal at the Ryder Cup. And I hope he does, because I love yeah. JT. Yeah. I'm probably like the biggest JT fan ever, but I, I just don't think that he earned it this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does, how people react to it. Um, 
but Tegan was a super classy sportsman yeah. about not getting picked, putting out a statement that he's going to watch every second of it and is excited to uh, cheer cheer on the team, but that he did everything he could to to be on it and that hopefully, I, I, I don't know, his, his career is probably past, definitely past prime at least by in two years by the next Ryder Cup. So yeah. he, his, his chance of being on the team again is probably pretty slim, but um, JT, JT will probably be on it for, I mean, if he get picked this year, he'll probably be on it every single year until he's like 50. <laughs> like, well, and yeah, you know, we were ta- I know we talked about this last week, and this has kind of been a topic of conversation on a lot of Twitter accounts and Instagram accounts and golf podcasts is, is like, is it is it a boys club or is it a competition? You know, like, are we picking guys? And I do get the argument, you know, like, as a coach, I do understand taking a guy on a team that you're like, he may not be the 12th best golfer or the best hitter or the best player, but there's something about his intangibles or his attitude, or he works really hard. And I want guys like that around. Um, And I get that. However, you usually want guys around, you know, at least for me as a coach, it's usually with the understanding, like, Hey, you're probably not going to get as much playing time as these other guys, unless you show, you know, like the, the few opportunities you get, you take advantage of, I realize in a situation like this, there's not like a lot of time for that to happen. Um, but again, I think you can have JT be part of it without maybe playing because his playing is clearly just not where it needs to be. Um, but like you said, I hope he figures it out. Maybe he does. Maybe this is just like a freak thing where he's just like, it doesn't matter how I'm playing. The Ryder Cup is just going to fire me up and um, I'll get it. You know, I mean, I think playing to the boys club kind of thing, if you look at, you know, like even Zach Johnson was like, well, I picked Sam Burns, though I think Burns deserves it. I mean, clearly, like he had enough points and won the match play. So I'm not against that pick. But even like Zach Johnson was like, well, if you saw the relationship Sam Burns had with these guys, you'll, you'll know why I picked him, which fine but again now you're kind of playing into that narrative of well it's jt it's ricky it's matt you know all these guys are buddies and so they're all going to play together because they're buddies and it's almost kind of like when you're in school and all the same popular kids get picked to do all the fun things or get picked to do all of the like you know they're all buddies and so they're all going to continue to get picked um, to do all of like the extracurricular cool things. They're all going to win the awards. They're all going to be the people and that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of how it comes off to me. And I'm, I'll probably, you know, if anybody actually listened to this, I'd probably catch some flack for it. But uh, I just don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, again, if it was one, if it was like, well, we get 10 people qualify and he gets to pick two people for their intangibles. Yeah then maybe I get doing it. And I guess you could make the argument that he did pick 10 of the best people. So JT and whoever Ricky are his choices, which fine. Um, I guess it is, it is a bummer that Keegan didn't get on. He's the only guy that I thought should have been on. That's not on. And yeah, I just don't, I agree. I just don't think JT should be on. And I think it's, I think you're setting a dangerous precedent. Like you said of like, 15 years down the road, these guys are still on the team because 
there's like this captain's buddy club where they all just kind of pick each other to be captain and then vice captains. And then there's this player buddy club that those guys are just going to somehow work into being part of it. Um, So, you know, I just think, and I think you can make that argument again. And I know JT was 15th on the list, but if you want to look at body of work, you can make that argument for some other people that like, well, obviously you're not going to pick them, but like their body of work. I mean, like I don't, I made this kind of insane reference, but like, Phil Mickelson's body of work, you could be like, well, he's not playing very well right now, but his body of work says he should be on the Ryder Cup team because he has one of the greatest Ryder Cup records of all time. He almost won. He was very close to winning the Masters. Like, I mean, I, so I, I don't necessarily think that idea is clearly flushed out on he's the other end of the argument. That's why he didn't get picked. What? He, he's not a member of that boys club anymore, though. Right. And that's what, you know, even Keegan said that, like, I'm not as close with those guys. Yeah. And so that, that seems like what it comes down to is if you're not close to those guys and you're kind of in the running, you're not going to get picked because they want, you know, they want it to be like a, you know, it is a serious deal, but it's like, these are the guys I want to hang out with. And it's like, well, that's awesome. Like, but do they get, does he give you the best chance to win? Apparently he does in the, in the eyes of a lot of people, but I just don't, I don't do, I don't agree. But anyway. Yeah. Well, um, JT is playing the fourth Ryder cup. Is it this weekend or next weekend? I'm not sure, but there has to be a ton of pressure on him to perform because if he goes out there and misses the cut again, like he has to have zero confidence going into the Ryder cup. But like I said, I hope he does well. I hope that he does well in this next tournament coming up. I hope he does well in the Ryder Cup, but pressure he on is going to play this weekend. Yeah, yeah, he committed uh, a couple of weeks ago. I wonder if he pulls himself out now that he got selected. I have a hard time. Well, maybe it seems like a hard, I have yeah. a hard time believing he's going to play, but maybe he does. He, yeah, I saw the interview of all the players and Zach Johnson after the picks came out, and he was talking about playing in it. So oh. as of after the picks came out, he was still intending to play. That that might have changed since then. I didn't see otherwise, but mm. um, I was I was definitely surprised because someone asked wow. him if if he was still going to play, and he said that he was planning on it. So um, he must be looking for something in his game, <laughs> and he thinks he needs to play in a, in a tournament to find it. But um, which is concern? I mean, you could say is concerning. Yeah, I would I would say so. Is it the Fortnite Championship that he's going to play in? Um, or the I Sanderson Farms? No, that's not till October. So it's got to be the Fortnite because that's the only one coming up the 14th through the 17th. Where's it at? Uh, Silverado Resort and Spa. Oh, I think it might be overseas. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I guess I'm not. I'm not sure on that. I I saw something and I just assumed that it was in Europe. Oh, that may, that would make more sense. But I'm now gonna I'm... pull up the Ryder Cup roster here, and then we can talk about any other surprises or any other people. So, for a first on par none, we're doing a, sh- a screen share. If you're watching, yes, if you're watching, we'll describe it to you. Though you're missing out if you're not watching this on YouTube or okay. I mean. Yeah, I think we've talked the USA pretty much to death. There's not a lot of other surprises. Um, 
you know, I think some people thought Cam Young was going to get picked, but again, I don't think he's part of this boys club. And then when you have, I think this team looks a lot different if Clark and Harmon don't win um, majors, but because they win majors, they're in it. And I think this, you know, Keegan probably is in if one of these guys don't win a major. Um, Just so, I mean, I think that threw a wrench in a lot of Ryder cup plans because I don't think anybody expected either one of those guys to win one. So, you know, there's two spots right there that you probably have reserved for Cam Young and Keegan Bradley. And then, you know, that your team's all set um, there. But I think everybody else has a chance to really, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised by any of the other picks. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah it'll I think be really awesome that Ricky Fowler's there. I'm so pumped that Ricky's there. Um, I know that you don't like Brooks, but I'm excited to watch him because I haven't been yeah. watching him live, and he's always a beast in majors. So, yeah, um, I mean, I can't I, argue it. I can't stand the guy, but he's such a good talent that you have to have him on the team. I talked about it last week, so I'll be watching. I'll be wanting him to win his matches. I'm fine with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting also to see how Clark and Harmon do with. You know, they really haven't had this stage before. Winning their majors were kind of like the first, like, big, I feel like, big stages that they were on. And now they're teeing it up at the Ryder Cup where everybody talks about they can't even feel their hands on the first tee box. So, I don't know. They they could be a new mainstay on the Ryder Cup team. If Clark goes out there and goes 5-0, he could have a, a brand new, big reputation for him. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's so hard to predict. I was lucky, you know, just because we're club guys, there's, what, six Titleist dudes on there, which is wild. Um, Half the squad. Yep. Three, what, two, two TaylorMade, two Callaway, and then Cobra and Strixon. So, interesting mix of gear there, but Tideless definitely taking it, taking it down because I think Clark, Harmon, Canelay, Homa, Spieth, Thomas, all Tideless guys. Yep. Yeah. That's that's interesting that you said that because at the uh, Tour Championship, I saw it was a pie chart, and it was the percentage of um, players that were playing each brand, and Tideless had over half for drivers, irons, for everything, and then, like, over 75% for putters because of Scotty. So, mm. um, yeah, apparently all the best players in the world are, are leaning titleist right now. Except for the number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, who is all tailor With a Scotty Cameron. Yeah. Well, he was – is he Scotty now? Because he was yeah, using he that – Spider, okay. Yeah. I mean, even I have a Scotty Cameron, so it's hard to like argue that. But and Brian Harmon has a Titleist bag with a TaylorMade putter. Weird. Reverse. Are we done with the USA? Yeah, we're done with the USA. Let's move on. Stop talking about these. I mean, again, I mean, and I, this is crazy because, like, I think you know we can talk the USA team to death. I think we're kind of in. I mean, I think we're kind of in some trouble, to be honest. The European roster looks solid. And I was looking at a list of choices that Luke Donald had. And it was, you know, the people that automatically qualified. And then um, 
um, the people that were on the edge of qualifying. And at that point, I was like, oh, we got this in the bag. Like, our guys are going to wreck this team. And then he put this squad together, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, he this looks like an amazing team. And yeah. um, a lot of them have really uh, experienced careers. And uh, we were talking about it the other day. They're, they all seem like very likable people. So I don't yeah. know. It's, it's kind of like weird because usually when it comes to the Ryder Cup, I'm like, oh, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. And then right. uh, I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little different this year. I like this squad. Um, yeah. The one well, was... person. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I, you finish your thought. One person that caught my eye was the Ludwig Aberg pick. I mm-hmm. watched him at the call of the NCAA championships on TV in the spring. And then I saw him in Minnesota at the 3M Open. And then this last week, he won over in Europe. And um, so I've, I've seen like him play in a few different tournaments now. And every time he comes on, he just he has such a clean swing. And he looks so in control of his body that he like he's going to be a top player in the world. He turned pro three months ago. He's already made a huge impact on tour. He's already on the Ryder Cup. And... I don't see him as one of those people fading off. So my hot take is that he'll be top top twenty player in the world next year. I want to say top ten, but that would be like a very hot pick. Yeah, <laughs> but he's 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 so good and he's so young. It's crazy. He's gonna do to the Ryder Cup what Tom Kim did for the Presidents Cup. Just be like the yeah. the young dude that we all like get behind. Um. And I've never even seen him play, but it's like I've heard crazy good things. So, yeah, he's a stick. It'd be interesting. And it's funny, you know, like you mentioned, this team is like hard to dislike. You know, I think when we were getting, when we were kids, it was easy to hate the European team almost because you had guys like Sergio Garcia and Ian Poulter. Because um, that popped into my head. Yeah. Yeah, of course, because they're kind of pricks. You know, they're. There were some like stuffier Europeans when we were kids that just kind of seemed like they were kind of dicks. Although, like, I actually have come to really like Ian Poulter a lot. Um, but he just kind of seemed like, you know, he was kind of a, you know, kind of a prick or, or whatever. And even some of those other guys just, they just kind of gave off like a more of like an FU vibe. And these guys are all just fun, you know, like Roy McElroy, John Rahm. You, you cheer for those guys every week. And now you're going to be like, I hope you die. Um, you know, I mean, like Justin Rose just seems like a super kind dude. Sepp Straka seems like a super kind dude. Shane Lowry is just like a big bear. You know, Matty Fitz seems like a good guy. Tommy Fleetwood has like dry humor. You're like, oh, I'd like to be friends with him. Terrell yeah. Hatton's obviously a character. Victor Hovland is maybe like the nicest guy on the team. Um, and even like Mac and like McIntyre again, all of these guys just seem like super. I don't know anything about Ludwig or Nikolai, but again, you're just like I don't really want any of those guys to lose. And I even like Luke Donald. Like I loved watching Luke Donald as a kid. Like great swing, Mizuno irons. I love that. He's just like a likable human being. Um, yeah. So I'm just like, well, crap. Like I don't. I mean, I'm obviously voting for uh, rooting for Team USA, but it's just like almost hard to root against somebody. Like who's gonna 
we all are like want Rory McIlroy to win every tournament that he plays in, and now we're like, hope you lose, Rory. Hope you just yeah. slice everything. Like that's so weird. Yeah, but when it comes down to the Ryder Cup, it's always the feeling. The feelings change when it when they tee off. For, yeah, for you know, obviously love cheering on the Team USA, no matter who's on the European team, even though absolutely love some of these guys. Yeah, for sure. I also think I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I've had my I've had thoughts on this for a long time when it comes to like people representing their country in an event, you know, like you see it in the Olympics sometimes or other, you know, you saw like with Rory Sabatini, this last Olympics. Um, But like a lot of these guys go to like college in America, then they live here, they play on the PGA tour, but then they're going to like represent their country for like the Ryder cup. And it's like, like, yeah, like Sepp Straka, like, yeah, he was born there, but he like went to the university of Georgia and like has lived in Georgia since he was a kid. And I was like gone back and spent time there, but I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of a weird deal. You know I mean? Like I remember as a kid, like Alex Rodriguez playing for like the Dominican Republic in the world baseball classic. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like you haven't lived there for 30 years. Yeah. Do they get to pick like set like Straka, for example, like, yeah. What point I mean, is able to be considered team USA? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. And I don't know what, I don't know if you have to be born here or what the, I don't actually know what the qualifications are for it. Um, it was more just an observation because I see this happening a lot when, you know, guys, I mean, they are from that country, so it's not necessarily, I don't think they're not lying or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing. I just think it's so interesting that it's like, it'd be one thing if it's like, well, you went to school there, you still play on the European tour. But it's like, you do everything here. However, if we said that for everybody, there'd be nobody to choose. Like, we'd steamroll everybody because we'd have nine people of this list or eight people. Like, you know, Rory, John Rahm. You know, I think Justin Rose does actually commute from London now. Or and I think, yeah. like, Tommy Fleetwood lives in Dubai. So, like, you know, like, Matty Fitz went to Northwestern. So it's just like, John Rahm went to ASU. So... I mean, yeah, you are you are Europeans for sure, but you've been here since you're 18, and you play all of your golf here for the most part. So, like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't even know if you have thoughts on that. I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I've honestly never really thought about that because to me, it's like their home country. Yeah, right? Rory lives here, but he's definitely Northern Ireland, and Rom lives here, but he's like. 100% total lives and breathes a Spaniard. So, I don't know. I I I can see like the Sepp Straka thing if he's lived here since he was 5, like, well, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. Um Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't play for their country. I just think it's funny when it's like, yeah, you've been here your entire adult life. Yeah. Um and then you go, you know, like you haven't lived in that country for a long time, but yet you're going to represent them when like you really besides like country origin like origin of birth or like childhood you really have nothing currently 
that's like representative of that country, except for your birth, which is fine. Again, I don't necessarily have a problem. I'm saying I'm not saying necessarily a negative thing. It's just an interesting observation that I yeah. am always just kind of like, you live in Florida, bro. So whatever. The other interesting thing, I heard uh, Justin Rose interview yesterday, and I've always thought that it would be so hard to, like, like Team USA is playing for their country, you like the U.S. Europe mm. is playing, like, against the U.S. <laughs> they, they're not, like, they're not under one country. I, I think, yeah. like, only being to Europe um, one time, it seemed like it's a lot different than over here where it is kind of like the EU. It's all, like, kind of like one thing. The countries are almost states over there. It's a lot different than here, but um, Justin Rose said that when he puts on that shirt and it has that badge on his chest, how it just like pumps him up and gives him motivation to be a like to be his best self. And I'm like, but this it's not even like your country. It's it's like literally a black shield that doesn't yeah. represent anything besides the European Ryder Cup logo. But right. apparently, yeah. apparently it's significant to them and the. Mm. The Europeans like banding together for you know tournaments like this and stuff like this, but um, I just well, I think yeah. it's so interesting that like we put the flag on and all of our guys have red, white, and blue. That's our colors, and then Europe has like they're either wearing like like blue and orange or black and yellow. Like they switch colors on days, and there's not like there's nothing solidified about their uniforms or right. the to unite them together so that that's one interesting thing that i i was kind of thinking about when i was watching that justin rose interview yesterday yeah it is interesting that it's a country versus a continent um for sure so that's an interesting deal um and this is a super i'm gonna say it anyway because like it's my podcast our, our podcast so i can whatever i can say whatever i want but um super hot take but like i personally this is Ryan's opinion. This is not opinions of anybody else, anybody associated with this. But I personally am not a huge fan of like the American like patriotic obsession we have. Like it's just as a country as a whole. This has nothing to do with the Ryder Cup, but it bleeds over into that. Uh, and I'm you know I'm proud to be an American, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm happy that I live here. I love you know the things the country affords me, all of those, I'm grateful for all of that. But like this crazy, I've never, I've never understood this like crazy patriotic obsession with like, let's wear the flag as like pants and let's like, you know, like have two American flags like blowing off of like, you know, this like F450 that I own, even though I work at an office job and I've never used the bed of my truck for anything. But, um, like that kind of thing, I don't understand. And I, that's kind of why I almost like in certain aspects, Europeans more is I know, even though they are very like loyal and I know like soccer fans can be crazy, but like, you don't see people walking around in like a Spanish flag shirt or just like doing or saying some of the crazy ass things that like Americans will do for like patriotism. Um, so anyway, that's a very unpopular opinion to have. So, and I, you know, I get it. Like I get getting fired up, but like I have a, I have a, you know, especially with just like some of the things that we as a country have like done 
or continue to do or like say that we're again, you know, again, this is not a political podcast, but again, like I think sometimes we just overlook a lot of, you know, unsavory or atrocity or those kinds of things in the name of like red, white, and blue. Let's in go. Um, I don't know, right? Not to get too deep or philosophical on this podcast, but I just kind of like cannot stand that like crazy obsession to where it's almost, it's almost like a religion, like America, like American patriotism becomes this like reason that I like live and breathe. And if you say anything or do anything, like we're coming for you kind of thing. Um, or you can't criticize anything because it's like anti-American or anything like that. So anyways, I don't know. So I'm on a soapbox tonight. You're, you're kind of describing me driving the truck, flying my flag high, sent you a picture of my red, white, and blue putter tonight. Yeah, you're terrible. <laughs> so, USA, USA. Yeah. I don't have any problem. I mean, like, again, I don't, like, if you want to be that, I just think, like, the culture as a whole is such a weird, obsessive thing that yeah. it almost can be, like, at times unhealthy, or, like, some people take it to an unhealthy level where it's like, you know, I mean, there are going to be fans there and I'm, you know, I'm sure it'll be on the other side too, but especially when it's here where it's like to the point where like it's derogatory towards them because they're European and it's like, that guy lives in Florida. So like, <laughs> Hey, take it easy. You know what I mean? But it's like things, I don't know. We just do this kind of like, we just do a very weird job of being patriotic in this country. Um, I just think it's weird. I just, yeah. I don't know. I've just never been able to get up for, you know, like that kind of thing. Like I would, I would absolutely wear a piece of Ryder cup gear, but I would never deck myself out in like head to toe, red, white, and blue just for like, like a holiday. I'm not going to wear like United States trunks for labor day or Memorial day or 4th of July. Like, I don't know. Like that kind of stuff is just funny to me and I don't really, I can't get like up for it. I know, I know what you're getting for your birthday present. Perfect. Cannot wait. Anyways, sorry for that uh, rant. So you will not be dressed up in red, white, and blue for the Ryder no. Cup. No, that's not what I'm saying. Again, I don't know. I I, I don't want to like speak out of both sides of no, my mouth. I have no problem with it. I'm just not going to like, do you know what I'm saying? Again, I don't even have a problem with, if you wear red, white, and blue, All my only point in saying that is sometimes I feel like with the European side of things, it's a much more reserved, like, um, you know, just kind of like prideful, reserved, like admiration. And the United States is like this in your face, like we're going to be like as obnoxious as possible, like annoyance with our country love. Yeah. And I just, I, that's, I guess that's kind of my only point is sometimes I'm just like, I wish we would take it down just like a notch because sometimes I feel like other countries look at us and they're like, those guys are em like, they're embarrassing themselves. Oh, 100%. I think that's the, the world's view on us. <laughs> Loud and proud. Yeah. And I just am like, I am not, I agree with that like sentiment from other countries. And maybe it's because I've lived abroad and been some places, but I'm kind of like, oh yeah, you can have pride in where you come from without being a complete jackass about it. And I sometimes think the world thinks that we are all just like these complete jackasses when it comes to like 
America kind of thing. And I just can't get behind that type of patriotism. I'm fine with, I'm not anti-American. Please don't. I feel like that's the first thing that's going to go on this podcast is that I'm that. And that's not what I'm getting at. All right. Anyways. All that to say is Brady does not like the United States, and I had to talk him off the ledge of cheering for Europe. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> you changed you changed my mind. Yeah, okay. Whew. Okay, so we're both voting for America. It was dodgy there for a second. Um, anything else on the Europe roster that we want to talk about, or are we moving to these crazy, absurd Tiger stats that you dug up? Let's go to these Tiger stats, because we've already been at this for 50 minutes, and we thought we were going to be done by now. So, um, okay, so I came across these collection of Tiger Woods stats. We've already heard that. I'm like, I'm sure you guys have all heard these a hundred times, and I have read them, and I know Brady has already read them like before, but I sent them to Brady, and um, they're just insane. So I was going to read them off one by one, and then I thought, like, I just want to get Brady, I want to get your reaction to it. And then if one, if something like sticks out and we chat about it, great. If not, we'll just move on to the next one. But like, first one is best score to par in majors. From 1997 to 2009, it does say minimum of 70 rounds, so they had to play a considerable amount of those. Tiger Woods is a minus 134. The next best player is Phil Mickelson at plus 99, and then Ernie Els at plus 118. Phil was the only player within 250 strokes of Tiger Woods. Yeah. I mean... I mean yeah. Go. Uh okay, I'm going to read not not in order here, but I'm going to read the next stat that's related to this one and it it was the most eye-popping to me. Okay. So, this is on the third page here. From 99 from the 99 PGA through the 2001 Masters, Tiger's finishes and majors were win, fifth, win, 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 win. In that time, he had five major wins, and only four players finished ahead of him. The next person was 99 over. He was he was reeling off wins, obviously, with that type of score uh, during that time period. Yeah, that's just insane. And I think you know we talked about this before we hopped on the podcast, but it's just like, and you'll see this as we go. But it's not just that he wins. And that he won everything. It's the dominance with which he does it. Like 250 strokes separating the next best guy in that is just absolutely, absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, I would like to see how many, again, I would like to see how many people have qualified for the minimum 70 rounds. Um, because, you know, it's all people who would be in that same age bracket. I'm guessing there's got to be more than a few but the number, you know, regardless, is still pretty impressive. Um, yeah, that's a 12-year span. It's insane. Yeah. Okay, stat number two. From 1999 through 2007, Tiger Woods played in 17 World Golf Championship stroke play events. He won 12 of them. He was 188 under par in those events. 
just in those 17 events, 131 shots better than anyone else whose Jim Furyk was minus 57. So, like, again, basically, I mean, almost the exact same type of stat, just like the world's best competitors coming together in, you know, slightly easier conditions. Um, because Jim Furyk was at least under par instead of being over par. But still just a catastrophic difference between Tiger and the next best guy. And the winning percentage is insane. Yeah, 12 out of 17 in that eight-year period. Yeah, it's just crazy. All right, next one. Tiger is the only player since 1950 to win the same PGA Tour event four years in a row. And he did it twice. Bay Hill from 2000 to 2003 and the Buick Invitational from 2005 to 2008. So not only is he the only player to ever do it, he did it twice, and he did it at two different tournaments, not overlapping. So not overlapping. ranges from 2000 to 2008, basically. So he was yeah. dominating during that entire time. He didn't just get lucky four tournaments in a row, or four right. years in a row. I mean, and just to like... I don't know. I mean, a golf, just, I don't know. I don't even know what to say to, to just basically not have anybody else like catch fire or get lucky, you know, or just skirt by him by one stroke and four consecutive time. That's my, that's just mind blowing. Like how you could go and dominate a golf course that much consecutively you just watch guys now and it's the same few guys who are dominant and it's just so hard to win on the PGA tour and it's yeah. so hard to repeat an event. Like it just happens so infrequently. I don't know. It's just crazy. Like the number one player in the world, Scotty right now, it's like, well, he might like, he, he's been getting top tens like religiously, but yeah. in no way is he like, he's usually there's sometimes the favorite, but sometimes not. It's like not a lock for him to be the favorite. Um, he, I mean, it's it's just a different world. It's 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 unbelievable. I, yeah. There are no words, like you said. Uh, next one, and this may be the most impressive one to me. From 2004 to 2006, so basically three seasons worth. Tiger had 1,466 putts. From three feet and in, measured by shot link, he missed three of them. So he was 1,463 for 1,466 on three-foot putts, which I know sounds not that impressive, but anybody who's been over a three-foot putt knows that they're going to miss a fair amount given 1,500 shots. And that, that was three feet and in. So his one-inch tappers count in that, but still. Yeah. That, but still. I mean, like, I miss... I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good golfer, and I probably miss at least one three-footer around, just out of, like, you know, I don't know, you pull it, you're not... I don't know. So just, like, the consistency of that is insane. Yeah. Crazy. 
All right, you just you read the Masters one, so let's go on to the next one. Um, most strokes gained total. Okay, so this is the same span. So, you know, that one that you said from 1999 to 2001, from the 1999 PGA to the 2001 Masters. So this is that same span. Most strokes gained in that span, Tiger Woods, 115.7. Next highest guy, David Duval, 56. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't. I mean, again, we're just going to end up with the same dumbfounded response, but just like, how do you gain that many strokes in a short amount of that, that short amount of time? Yeah. He doubled up Duval. It's crazy. It's crazy. I just don't get it. Like, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Um, okay. This is an insane stat. Win percentage by the outright 54-hole leader on the PGA Tour. In 2022, the 54-hole leader won 41.4% of the time. On the PGA Tour in the last 10 years, the 54-hole leader has won 42% of the time, so not even half the time, which is crazy that the guy leading after three rounds wins less than half the time. Mm -hmm. That seems crazy. Um. Tiger Woods at 54 hole leader has won 95.7% of the time if leading after three rounds, 44 for 46. I'm surprised that the PGA Tour average is that low, but right, basically be a lock after the third round if you're leading. Like, not a, like not only was he have like he had all the talent to do that. But everyone else against him, the guys in second, third, fourth, fifth, they knew that right. he closed out every time. Mm-hmm. So and if you've heard any documentaries or anything with anybody who was playing with him at that time, they would all say this. They've all said that. Like, we basically knew we were playing for second <laughs> every time we teed it up with Tiger. So you went 44 for 46. Do you know what the two were? Was it the the two thousand eight USO what? or uh, is that the one where he got beat by Michael Campbell? The one I'm thinking of was blanking out. Okay, his only losses with the fifty four hole lead were the Quad City Classic in nineteen ninety six when he was twenty and making his third start as a pro, and the wow. two thousand nine PGA Championship at Hazeltine against nice. Y E Yang, which is crazy. It's even crazier that Y E Yang is the one who chased him down. <laughs> Yeah, so he lost that one that when he was twenty, and then basically the only one that mattered was that the one Y.E. Yang. Here's another crazy stat to add on to that one: that that fifty that fifty four and uh, and of uh, fifty six is just when he holds the lead by himself. If he was tied for the lead, if you add the ties in there, he's fifty five and four after fifty four holes. If you add in if he was tied for the lead. Insane. Okay. All right. During the entire 2000 PGA Tour season, Tiger Woods recorded one round higher than 73. It was the first round of the Masters, which he shot 75 when the field was averaging 75.59. And he won. He won that tournament. Right? The 2000 Masters. Uh, no, he finished fifth, I think. 
Oh, did he? He won the 2001 Masters, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Vijay Singh won the 2000 Masters. Oh, okay, sorry. But that's still incredible. That I mean, that was Tiger in his prime, so playing a lot, not, you know, like the Tiger we all know now. And he never, he shot one round above 73. How is that human? I mean, that's not, that just seems in, inhuman. <laughs> one round all season? Anyways, I mean, I just don't understand how you can be that dialed in all the time. Like, that's that's video game numbers. Yeah, and that's, you know, rain, wind, right? Um, whatever the course conditions may be. Like, you don't have a bad day. How can you go out there every day, all season, never have a bad day? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's just that he didn't shoot over par ever. All those guys shoot over par. It's just a it's just a crazy stat. I don't think people realize how insane it is, even for a professional golfer to go out against that kind of competition and that pressure on those type of golf tournaments and never shoot over par ever. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, there are two instances since nineteen hundred, so one hundred and twenty three years, of a player winning a men's professional major by ten strokes or more. Only two. They both belong to Tiger Woods and have been 12 or more, the 97 Masters and the 2000 U.S. Open. So it hasn't even happened in 23 years because he didn't, he, but he owns the only two instances of winning a major by 10 strokes. I love these stats where something has only happened two or three, four times and Tiger has all of them. Gosh. It's just, it's mind boggling. This next one, this was, here's another one. From the 99 Memorial to the 2001 Memorial, Tiger Woods won 20 times in 40 official PGA Tour events. So that's a two-year span. He won 20 out of 40 tournaments. He then did it again, winning 20 times in 40 starts from the 2005 WGC American Express through the 2008 U.S. Open. I just, so, can you, yeah. I, I just, yeah, go ahead. No, you go. You go. Winning percent. Through, through two or three seasons twice. Yeah, right. Can you imagine if Rory McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler won every other tournament? They, they don't, I mean, like, we can't even... We just think about these guys who have great seasons. They're like, they won four times. That's amazing, which it is. But, like, yeah. I just can't imagine Scotty Scheffler being like, dude, won every other tournament he played in. It's, I mean, it's, it's never, like, never going to happen. Yeah. Never going to happen. I don't, yeah, okay. This one is just like kind of cool, but I guess it's not that crazy. I don't know. Incredibly, Tiger Woods won his 100th, his 200th, and his 300th official starts on the PGA Tour. So right on the number. 100 was the 2000 World Golf Championship Invitational. 200 was the Buick Invitational in 2006. And the 300th was the 2013 Players Championship. So that one is so far the least surprising to me, especially if he's <laughs> racking off every other every other tournament he's winning. The odds are that yeah. he's going to hit it on those numbers is pretty good. Yeah, and so you know what else is interesting too is everybody talks about how you know he until he won the Masters he hadn't won a major since 2008, so it had been. 11 years, but he did sneak in a player's championship five years after his U.S. Open win, which is pretty impressive to me. 
Um, okay, here we go. Across Tiger Woods' 82 PGA Tour wins, fellow competitors in those events have been born in the span of 1922 to 1990. That's just a random fact. That's just funny. I mean, like, just the, it just shows his dominance over a long period of time. 77 year birth, birth year gap in his opponents in the wins that he's had. Crazy. (laughs) Um, and okay. I lied about the putting thing. I think this is my, this is the most impressive stat he holds. Okay. Um, Tiger Woods has the PGA Tour record for most consecutive cuts made at 142, which will never be broken, I don't think. Unbelievable. Um, John Rahm has the longest active streak at 19 cuts made. Based on past schedule trends, if Rahm keeps his streak going, he would break Tiger's record sometime in the spring of 2029. <laughs> so don't miss a cut for six more years. Right. You can't miss one cut for six more years. And we all know John Rahm is going to miss a cut. So, yeah, again, it's just like... That one's unreal. The control, again, the control of your golf game. This is what's always been crazy about Tiger to me is just like the 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 control. I, I don't know how that's possible. Like how you can get at least on the cut line every time without somebody making like a move, you know, because there's got to be times where he finished on the cut line early in the day and a lot of things could have happened. So it's just like, you know, to like know where he needed to be almost and like sense where the field was going to be at and know like I have to get to this number even if I don't have my best stuff. It's almost like he can will it to happen. And more so than that, it's almost like he can will the field to like let it happen. Yeah. Like my power is so strong that you will wilt and nobody will do what they need to do to knock me off my perch. That's the coolest thing about was is Everyone knew it. Yeah. I don't know if the mentality is different today, or there's just not been a player. Like, obviously, there hasn't been a player like him with his mindset, his his ability to execute. But, like, if Rory's hot and he comes into a tournament, maybe he won the last two tournaments, and this is the third one now. Like, nobody really cares. Like, yeah, he's hot, but they're not going into it thinking, like, oh, shoot, like, Rory's gonna beat me, right? They're mm. like, like I'm like, okay, that's fine, but I'm gonna win this one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, almost the opposite. Like, well, he can't win three in a row, so I have yeah. to be, like, he's not gonna do it. So yeah, um, which they just didn't think about. They just thought about Tiger as a whole different on a whole different level than other people, which is just so wild. I just don't. Yeah, yeah we'll never see anybody else like it. Um. Tiger Woods is the only player currently under the age of 50 with 25 more or more PGA Tour wins. He got his 25th PGA Tour win in 2001 at Bay Hill. So 22 years ago, he got his 25th win, and nobody has been able to do that under 50 since. Crazy stat. Um Tiger Woods has won seven majors by three or more shots, the most all time. The last player before Woods to reach the career milestone of seven majors won total in men's golf was Tom Watson in 1982. 
So Tigers won seven by three or more shots. The only person, the last person to even win seven majors before him was Tom Watson in 1982, let alone how many shots he won that by. And I also didn't even realize until I read this that Tom Watson's won that many majors, which is impressive. Yeah. That's just crazy that, I don't know. I mean, again, Brooks Kepka's coming close, though. We'll see if he can yeah, see if he can get to that. He's at five, right? Oh, I think he can get there. Well, he'll get to seven. Yeah, I think he, he seems like he seems like the only person right now who could catch Tiger as far or not even catch, but like compete with some of these stats with just how dominant he seems to be in the majors. Yeah, um, it would have been Rory, but he just again is having such a long drought. But yeah, um, okay, here we go. Here's another one of you like these in the last sixty years. There are three instances of a player winning five or more PGA Tour starts in a row. Five or more in a row, three instances. They all belong to Tiger Woods. He won seven in a row, then he won six in a row, and then he won five in a row. It's crazy. Seven in a row. Yeah, again, we just like laugh because it's like never going to happen. You know, like Lucas Glover and Victor Hovland both won, you know, like back-to-back weeks. And people were just, like, losing their minds. You know, like, Lucas Glover has to be on the Ryder Cup team because he won two weeks in a row. Or Victor Hovland's, like, the biggest problem on the European Ryder Cup team now because he's, like, he's won two weeks in a row. Like he's like you said, he's on fire. And Tiger was just reeling off multiple times, seven in a row, six in a row, five in a row. Yeah, yeah, no wonder guys were intimidated. Like, I'd let him make the cut, too. Here we go. This is crazy, too. This is the last one, and then we'll wrap up. Tiger Woods is credited with 41 career wins on the European Tour, which is third most all-time on the European Tour, and he never played on that tour. Like, okay. <laughs> what? Um. Anyways, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, nobody's surprised by the dominance of Tiger. I just thought that was fun and that we should talk about it. But anytime I read stuff like that, I just am like... That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, crazy, crazy the stuff that he did. I was very young and watched like the end of his prime, the like 2000, 2001, 2002. Yeah. You missed some good golf, my friend. Oh, I've seen all the highlights, but I wish I wish That's I would have been there for it. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty fun to watch. I mean, like, you know, you don't know what you're watching. I mean, I was a kid, you know, so I was like 99, 2000 was like end of middle school, beginning of high school. So you don't really know what you're watching. I mean, like, I remember it because I watched the 97 Masters with my dad. And so, like, that's kind of what got me into golf. And then I just remember watching those seasons just being like, I mean, you know, like you didn't know. So you're just like, this is crazy. I love Tiger Woods. So your best your your favorite player is winning all the tournaments, so that's cool. But I didn't realize really what was happening until like now, you know, until I'm an adult and just being like, that was unbelievable. And you just think about all the dominant, like you think about Michael Jordan and how dominant he was. And and to me, Tiger Woods is just so much more dominant in his sport. Yeah. Um, it's tough, tough to find another player who had that big of an impact in in any sport like michael jordan would obviously be the closest um it's just hard like going to other sports it doesn't seem like there's ever a player that had that big of an impact on 
not only like the game like going out and winning but like getting like you're into golf because of tiger i'm into golf because of tiger like right hundreds of thousands of people play golf because they saw him play yeah yeah i'd say it's millions of people that got yeah. into golf that yeah. never would have like golf was a non you know competitor as far as sports goes in the marketplace and now it's you know insane like and i know you know like he's credited with purses were ridiculously low yeah there was nothing you know like you couldn't there is nothing there and now it's a lucrative deal which is just insane and i think too i had a point that i was going to make and now i've oh i was going to ask you i mean we haven't had this debate on the podcast podcast yet but i mean i know i know we're both like super like super tiger fans but what is your thought on the nicholas versus tiger debate like where do you stand on that you know like if you could be as unbiased as possible i feel like tiger has to take the cake on it because of the stats that you just read and how dominant he was against his players like the technology had a big impact on the scoring records that he broke but like pound for pound what he did to the other players that he was playing against. Like, that's crazy. That's that you ran off for crazy. And like, I think Tiger beat most, all all or most of Nicholas's. Holy cow. Vibrate one time. Do not disturb. Let's go. It's on do not disturb. Somebody needs to get a hold of you. Um, yeah, no, I, I'll, I agree with you. I think, I think it's in, I honestly almost think it's like insane. I know this sounds crazy, but like, I don't know how you don't pick Tiger as the greatest golfer of all time. Like, I know some people say, well, Jack is our greatest champion, but Tiger is the greatest golfer. And I guess I can go with that, you know, um, Except, like, Tiger has won more than Jack, just not as many majors. And I get that we measure the sport by that um, for sure. But yeah. at the same time, and I, I know that that's, like, the one record that will cloud his legacy forever because he's, you know, 99.9% sure he's never going to get there. Um, but, I, yeah, I don't know. Just, again, based on those stats and just – the way he dominated, the amount that he's dominated. Again, you know, I know he's tied with Sam Snead, which is for wins, which is a joke because if you look at some of those tournaments that Sam Snead won, like some of them are exhibitions or there was like four people in the field. I'm dead serious. Like you should go look at the list of some of the tournaments. Um, my, my local county course that I play at, he won a tournament there. Hmm. So and that's counted on the list. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Is that was that a PGA Tour event back then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so I think you know, I think you're comparing. Yeah, I think some of those need to be revisited and like, I mean, again, nothing against Sam Snead because clearly he's a great champion too. But um, if we count all of Tiger's exhibitions and like four people things and you know, like limited field things that weren't official events, like he would take down Snead easily. So, um, 
yeah, I don't know. I know the major question. I mean, it's just it would be awesome if he was at 18 or 19 and then we could lay that whole thing to bed because clearly if you took – I think if you take Nicholas in his prime versus Tiger in his prime, Tiger is a better golfer, hands down. If, I mean, I would have to look at the stats, but I, I would say in every aspect of the game. Like, and I don't know. Again, I haven't looked at the stats, but I just feel like if you were to put Jack and Tiger – on the same trajectory in the same time, like Tiger scoring stats, everything would be better than Jack's. Yeah, probably. Uh, I think the argument is like the the course conditions are better for Tiger. Like, like the course is a lot different than they were when Jack played. Obviously, the, the driver and the golf ball made a crazy difference too. So, like, his stats are going to be better for Zach. Driving accuracy, quote like um, proximity to the pin, having stats—they're probably all going to be better. But like, I think they're better not only because of the technology and course conditions, but because he was a better golfer. Uh, let me ask you this, and again, this is obviously speculative, but like, if you put Tiger in Jack's era with Jack's stuff, is he still dominant? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and if you put Jack in Tiger's era with Tiger stuff, how dominant is Jack with Tiger in the picture? They pro- probably go head-to-head. I don't know. Or it could be more like a Tiger and Phil thing where Jack is good, but he's not Tiger. Like, yeah. That's what I imagine in my head. Obviously, I never watched Jack play. Um, but, like, that's that's what I kind of imagined in my head. Like if Jack was in Tiger's era, he would be like competing and he'd be like that second place guy. Like he'd win second mm. place by a long ways, but he'd win second place. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I can definitely see it. Again, it's I know it's hard to compare because you could never just extrapolate out equipment and stuff like that. And obviously Jack Nicholas is a clear number two if he's not the number one. There's no debating who the top two are, but Um, I think the thing, and I think, I wonder how many people would admit that if Tiger could get to the major number, then the conversation is rested, is that is put to bed. Right. So that's really the only thing we're talking about that separate Jack from Tiger Woods is three tournaments. That's what we're talking about is really the only difference. Like if you, if, if majors were equal, I don't think anybody has a problem saying Tiger Woods is the greatest of all time, which just shows me like then apples to apples, he's better. Because yeah. if you're going to throw, you know, if you're just talking three tournaments that he was injured and couldn't get three tournaments, he's then he's still the best golfer of all time. But, yeah. I mean, I know, I'd like, have, we don't measure things like that. I'd have to look it up, but I think that Jack also had more second places than anyone else. Oh, yeah, he did, for sure. Like, a lot, which yeah. adds to adds to the, his side yeah. of the argument. For, for sure. sure. Yep, definitely. You're right. I totally agree with that being, you know, kind of close in contention, you know, Tiger was usually, I don't know how many seconds he had, but it was usually like, I'm going to win or I'm, you know, I'm not really, I don't know. I wouldn't say in contention, but he wasn't like flirting right there with it. Yeah. I know that he didn't have nearly as many seconds as Jack, but in my mind, uh, Tiger, Tiger takes, takes the trophy on that. (laughs) Yeah. Tiger's goat. I agree. 
I'm looking it up Tiger's thing real quick. Um, sorry, lots of dead air here. So, yep, Jack Nicholas has 19 second place finishes in majors, which is seven more than the next highest guy, which is Phil Mickelson at 12. Hmm. Tiger Woods only had six. So, that's a big um, You know, less than a third of what Jack did. So, there is that for sure. I mean, that's- Tiger's not even. That's basically like Jack finishing first or second in every, almost all of his majors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes that number, what, 20, uh, 37? I forgot what numbers you said. <laughs> Twenty. He has 19 and 18 wins, right? So 37. 37, yeah. I mean, that's, that's-, that's, a, that's a shit ton of majors for sure. Yeah. That's that's, that's every nine, that's nine years of four majors a year being completely dominant for a decade. Yeah, that <laughs> pretty impressive stat. Yeah. So he's definitely yeah. I mean, I you know you have to give it to him in the majors for sure. He's the best majors player golfer of all time. I just think like. I, I don't know. I think if you put Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas side by side in their prime, just as far as an actual golfer, champion, winner, I really don't think it would be much of a comparison because I think it would be exactly like it was when Tiger was out there. Is like he just blew it by everybody, and I yeah. think Jack would fall into that group with you know Ernie and David Duvall and Vijay Singh and Phil Mickelson. And he may have been better than those guys, but I think another guy just kind of like zooms by him in Tiger Woods. I could be, I mean, again, we could speculate about it all day. I don't, maybe could I, maybe I'd be wrong. I just, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that that major record is pretty impressive. Yeah, that is. I, I put it, I definitely put up that uh, 37 out of 40. Is that what it was? First or seconds over that 10 year span? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I was just doing the math. Like, it, you know, thirty-seven majors yeah. is nine years plus a major. So I don't know. I don't know years. when that first one, like, win or second place was, and when the last first or second place was. Um, it was probably more than that. That's the thing that I think Jack deserves the most credit for is he never was injured. I don't think. Um, no. So he, yeah. So he was just never not there competing and so there is something to say about that and he deserves obviously credit for that and obviously we'll go down as the best you know unless a miracle happens and tiger can somehow figure a way to get back and win multiple majors pushing 50 years old which you know i'm still holding out unrealistic hope that that's going to happen um but not obviously not likely so i think you know the debate will wage on for the annals of history because I don't think Tiger Woods ever gets to that number. Um, so anyways. Anyways. I think we're good. We went... I was planning on this being less than an hour, and now it's been, I think, our longest podcast together, so... You never know when damn, those things hit. Damn you, college football. Um, <laughs> anyways. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. This has been episode 17, I think, of the Pardon Podcast. You guys are great. Like, follow, rate, review. 
follow us on Instagram, whatever, you know, TikTok, YouTube, all those kinds of things helps us out. We'll be back next week. Um, probably, hopefully there's something to talk about, but Ryder cup week will be full of good nuggets, but we'll be back. So thank you guys. And we will see you next time.